fantasy football faithful it's your boy maddie keywoman welcome to the latest episode of keywoman jones fantasy football show first and foremost allow me to introduce the co-host of this very show fantasy football's certified lover boy the don chris jones what's up buddy what's going on how's it going it's going Uh, good this is your your friendly reminder that uh, I told you Cooper Cup would be the number one receiver in for the Los Angeles <laughs> Rams at the beginning of the season. And boy, okay. did he finish very well as the wide receiver one in fantasy yeah, football this year. I think he did. It's funny uh, how things like that happen. He had a pretty pretty good season, but I think the fans here listening, they, they want to know, did you secure any 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 rings this year? Any any, you know, hardware? Fortunately, I did not. Ooh, um, certified little boy. Very much so. Uh Derrick Henry getting hurt. Banged up a couple teams. Um, me playing the wrong quarterback in the semifinals. Me trusting Matt Stafford over a guy like Dak Prescott or Jalen Hurts. Cost me in a couple leagues. Uh, Would have won the championship the following week based off of matchup against the other person. Uh, so we don't talk about that. And then in the one championship I made it to, uh, I went up against Jamar Chase. So oh. you, can, you can tell me how that went. That was the week he obviously went absolutely nuclear. I was two for six this year, so your boy did okay in his league. So I'm happy he got some shillings back in uh, in return for some victories. But why don't we keep this ball rolling? As always, Cuban Jones is brought to you by Couch Guy Sports. Check out all of our content on CouchGuySports.com. Articles are coming out literally every single day. And if you're new to the show, first of all, welcome. Take a seat, relax, get ready for some great fantasy football content. But also, please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show. And if you have a moment and the app or website allows you to rate and review, help your boys out, and please do so. Lastly, I suggest you check out some of the other great podcasts on the CGS Network, shows like Suplex Biddies, Yellow Card Podcast, The Chasers Podcast, oh, and High Heat Fantasy Baseball will be returning very soon. Listen up, everybody. This is the season finale of Cuman Jones. I know, I know it's sad, but don't you worry. We will still drop some episodes periodically throughout the offseason. But since it is the season finale, we have a spectacular guest for you guys tonight. He is the creator of thatrcodingsite.com, which is an online course that teaches you how to code in R using football data sets. And if you're interested in taking your game to the next level, be sure to check it out. He is the host of the First Mover podcast and the co-host of The Big Tilt. Both shows can be found on the Player Profile Fantasy Football Podcast Network. He is the maestro of the big weekly Twitter thread. Alongside the Fantasy Football Market Watch, it is the best thread on Twitter to help you bolster your fantasy football knowledge. He is an up-and-coming TikTok superstar, a modern-day stacking savant, and he's living rent-free in the film guy's minds. I'm talking about the director of analytics at PlayerProfiler.com, an absolute legend in the fantasy football world, Mr. Josh Larkey. How's it going, brother? What's up, you guys? I... You know, I've been, I've been on a lot of podcasts this past year. I've hosted a lot of podcasts this past year. I've given some intros. I've heard some intros. This, this might be the best one. That was, wow. You had me tearing up inside as you were bringing me on. Like, That's... This, the smooth voice just like serenading me with compliments. I was like, we don't even need to talk football. Like, let's just, let's just get a steak dinner at this point. 
Let's go, boys. Let's Let's talk some football. Who cares? You know, it's a fantasy (laughs) football finale. But Josh, how was your 21, uh, 2020 season? Uh, Did you do well? And, you know, I know you do a lot of DFS and some of your home leagues. How'd it go? So we talked about a little bit pre-show. Couldn't take home any titles in my my redraft uh, dynasty leagues. I only play in a few leagues just because I'm working like 70 plus hours a week during the season. So, and I'm doing hundreds about, I'd say I probably make, I don't know, 13 to 1400 DFS lineups a week across a variety of platforms. And I do a lot of best ball leagues. So I just don't have time for quite that many uh, fab settings and whatnot. So I'm in like seven leagues a year. Generally is what I try and keep it at just below 10. I, I also got Jamar chased in uh, with my favorite team. I was crushing in the finals. The Jamar chase game happened. Like I had Jonathan Taylor, (laughs) This is a super flex team. Oh. Like I had Josh Allen. I, I thought things were looking really good. Keenan Allen, like this was a win now dynasty team. No, no title there. Another league, like just ransacked by injuries. A couple other leagues, like injuries. As people who follow me know, huge Fournette guy, huge Swift guy, a lot of costly injuries, uh, big Lamar guy. So many injuries during the, the fantasy football playoffs. But overall, it was a good season. Uh, made a nice uh, stack of money via dfs this year and some player props so no complaints a lot to uh be happy about and proud about a lot to reflect on and think about how i can do better so i would say this was this was a very this was a good season i got two things real quick we are gonna go we if anyone goes nuclear and it costs you a matchup we're gonna call it jamar chased it just it just comes off the tongue it just roll i got jamar chased guys and you just know exactly Mm -hmm. what they mean so i love that but at the end of the day, I, I also think it's hilarious that we're all saying, yeah, I don't play in too many leagues. I play in six. I play in seven leagues. Mm-hmm. We're fantasy football nuts. That's what we do. So when people, you know, the casual out there is like, you play in more than one league. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I care only about a handful. But I play in six. You play in seven, along with working a million hours a week and also absolutely dominating the fantasy football landscape. Uh, there it is. I had to say it. You know, let's make it awkward real quick. Josh, you're the man. You had a great season content-wise uh, as a fan of the game. I just got to say, man, you freaking killed it. Thank you. Yeah, it's, this, this, this was a fun year. I feel like it was a big growth year. I had a, a nice big like uh, multi-hour reflection call with Mr. Matt Kelly, the, the boss man, earlier today. So we, <laughs> we, had a, we had a nice talk about like what we did well, what we didn't do well for this year, what we want to do and improve upon for next year. So I think this is just kind of a good time because there's just not as much content to do during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have some projections up for playoff stuff on player profiler tomorrow, but I mean, there's, there's only 14 teams in the playoffs. There's only so much that you can do content wise. You're not getting that many games. So I feel like this is just like the perfect multi-week span where right before either you experience full burnout or right before <laughs> you're like, you know what? I need to take a few weeks off yeah. from fantasy football. This is a good time just to like really t- take some notes, reflect on it. And I feel like I think like seven, eight leagues is very little because I feel like a lot of my friends are in like 40, 50, 60 dynasty leagues. I honestly Whoa! don't know how they do it. There's a lot of like, I'm friends with a lot of like portfolio dynasty players. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And sense. like the guys where like they have a 40 hour job, that's like truly a 40 hour job. And then they spend 30 hours a week on just their fantasy teams. And oh. I, I mean, I'm trying to make money, trying to support like a, a future family. So 
yeah. I, I have to prioritize <laughs> selfishly. I have to prioritize DFS. There's just not as much money in dynasty. So I love it. It's where a lot of my research is, but in terms of like what I'm playing during the season, it's used so heavily DFS because I'm like, Hey, I've got a dog to feed. If I move <laughs> out of my apartment one day, there's, there's stuff to do. That Bills all costs pay. money and DFS pays faster. <laughs> it, it does. And if you get Jamar Chase in your lineup, you can't get Jamar Chase in DFS. You can play him. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, we got yeah, a, big... a It was a net positive. So like he, he yeah. cost me uh, like 800 bucks in Dynasty. Okay. But then he made me a little more than that in DFS that week. So I was like, you know what? I'm okay seeing this like 50 burger. Knowing <laughs> how it all shakes out. Yeah, when you see when you see green at the bottom of the ledger, you know the loss in mm-hmm. dynasty hurts a little less. I can I can definitely attest to that. Well, everybody, we have a great show. Obviously, it is our season finale. We have a phenomenal guest on, so we are going to bring that heat tonight. I am going to ambush both you guys here with a question that's not on the show sheet. Did the Raiders and the Chargers let down the analytic community by not kneeling every single play and getting a tie? So I think it's really interesting because I thought about this from a game theory perspective. Since I I took some game theory classes in college, I was an econ major. I love thinking about like the incentive structure. Mm -hmm. So obviously like at first glance, the incentive structure, it's obvious. You kneel, nobody gets hurt. Mm -hmm. Both make the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if this is ruffling feathers. I'm not a Roethlisberger guy. I think he's creepy with women. He's already got his <laughs> Super Bowl wins. Like we he's don't need him on the in the field play- too. Let's call like, it what we, it is. I was like, this guy's just. We don't need him in the playoffs. So, I, I just seem obvious. Like, oh, just kneel the ball. However, I think the what I think not enough people acknowledged is that the incentive structure shifts in game. And I'll give an example. Let's say that you're trading kneel offs, and there's two minutes left in the game you are unbelievably incentivized to throw a touchdown pass and knock out your division rival. Yes. No one's going to get injured because the defense isn't trying. They don't know what's coming and you win by a touchdown. And then you get to gloat and knock out your division rival. You're going to sell a crazy amount of jerseys because everyone's going to want the Jersey of Derek Carr and whoever the receiver is that caught that touchdown. It's going to be like a historic <laughs> moment in football. And I think that, or like if Herbert does it, like, Herbert and Allen jerseys, like who, whoever it is, the quarterback and receiver Hero. are just absolute legends. Yeah. So I think that's what not enough people were recognizing is that like, sure, in a perfect world at the start of the game, they're obviously incentivized to kneel the ball. But suddenly whoever has that final possession is no longer incentivized to kneel the ball. So I think that's why, yes, they sort of let the community down, but also why I don't think it was ever truly going to work is that if you work your way backwards from there and then assume, okay, the last possession team is going to cheat and score, then suddenly prevent defense. Yeah. Then if you go back, it's like, okay, well now the team before that is probably going to want to score. And then the team before that's going to want to score. And then you just keep going back and it's like, you know what, we're just going to play football. So yeah. And you have a bunch of rested guys at that point. If they're just kneeling for three quarters. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think sort of a letdown, but also I think the the game theory incentives aren't quite as clear cut as purely just kneel for the entire game. 
Yeah, the, the division rival aspect certainly adds like a, a little extra juice. You don't want to look across the sideline and see, you know, your division opponent like and not want to beat them. You always want to win. But Jonesy, let me ask you, in overtime, the Raiders had the ball with like 38 seconds left. Did Brent, did Staley make one of the most, biggest bonehead moves calling that timeout? I'm surprised does the job. Imagine being the the sole reason that your your team with this absolute stud of a quarterback that you have, and you're the reason why because they were considering taking a knee and just letting it tie, and you're both in the playoffs. But no, you decide to call a uh, a lucrous time lucrous timeout, and it co- it, it costs you a, a, a chance at the playoffs. It's basically, what happened? Yeah. And, and you know he's the guy. He's he he's kind of been crowned as the the up and coming analytics coach, and he's kind of shown that how he's you know made his calls throughout the season. But I was shocked at that at that timeout. And then you hear you know the the, the kind of like the hindsight twenty twenty with Derek Carr was like, yeah, we uh, our strategy changed when they called the timeout, and you know they had one of the best kickers in football indoors. Of course they were going to have it out. And like you said, Josh, their division rival. If you have a chance to knock them out. And send and and send Justin Herbert home to play golf, you know it, it does cause you know a little bit of uh, extra incentives to win that game. But it was just a fun thing to bring up because you know the analytics and football it gets stronger and stronger every single year. The statistics that come out, the predictive statistics that are developed, are getting better and better. And it all comes down to you know predictive outcomes of wins and losses. So when you look at a potential strategy that gives you a one hundred percent chance to win. You know, it is interesting to see that they went out and played a hell of a game. But, you know, shout out to them. They are the Warriors, the gladiators that we all love to watch and play fantasy football uh, as they play the real game. So, you know, just a little food for thought to talk about. Gonna, here, but- before we keep going, I'm going to interject and defend my man, Brandon Staley, as a Charger fan. But also just as someone that <laughs> doesn't think it was all his fault, just another perspective, because I, I totally understand that. Car was going to kneel supposedly. Supposedly, yes. that is a fact. Yes, that, we that makes Daly look that. terrible. However, if we think about the last few plays, it does look like the Raiders are mailing it in. Right, they're basically running the ball up the middle. Mm-hmm. However, they're running the ball up the middle for like nine, ten yards a carry over and over. Like Jacob said, like yes. a twenty-five yard run on that last drive. So yes, it looks like the Raiders are just running to see what happens. They're not really trying that hard to score. But you're allowing a crazy amount of yards per carry. Jacobs is breaking tackles left and right. Staley said he called the timeout to give his defense a rest, Mm -hmm. which I understand because, yeah, what if they're – I mean, he didn't know they were going to kneel the ball. Maybe he thought they were just going to do another Jacobs run, which they ended up doing supposedly because he called the timeout. But how is he supposed to know that they were going to kneel on that play and not just – do it exactly what they did, which is call a Jacobs run. He was hoping the defense would catch their breath, regroup and mm-hmm. stop the run. Obviously that didn't happen, but I think if he calls that timeout, the Raiders run that run play again and the Chargers stop him for a gain of one because they're rested. I think we think about it a lot differently. So that's why yeah. I, I don't know if that was necessarily the best decision. Maybe he could have read body language better and saw the Raiders were about to give up and tie, but I understand his thinking that we couldn't stop the run play after play. Let me give my guys a breather. 
Yeah, certainly. And I mean, if Jacobs broke free, he wasn't going to fall down like some you'll see running backs do to ice a game. He would have scored. So if there was a chance to score, any Raider player was going to find Pater. So, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It looks terrible. But, hey, you know, maybe there was a reason for him to come back and, and call the timeout. So interesting uh, play call there for, for, for the coach. So we'll, we'll see. They'll have to lick their wounds in the offseason. And I think uh, having one of the best quarterbacks in all of football and having damn near $80 million in cap space will ease those that pain just a tad going into the offseason. But why don't we jump into tonight's show? We have an action-packed show. Three segments that we're going to hit you guys with. Uh, why don't we just keep it going here? We got the victory lap walk of shame section. Because, you know, on Josh, on this show, we like to rub it in people's faces if we get it right. But we're also going to take accountability when we get things wrong. So, Josh, why don't you get us started as our esteemed guest? What is your victory lap from the 2021 season? So my victory lap is going to be that I, unlike, it seems like pretty much every other full-time analyst in the fantasy football community, I drafted a lot, a lot, a lot of Leonard Fournette this year. Nobody wanted Leonard Fournette. Everyone wanted Ronald Jones. It was cool to draft Ronald Jones. It was not cool to draft Leonard Fournette. Even though if you think about range of outcomes, there was no range of outcome where Ronald Jones was a bell cow. Think about it. They had Fournette. They had Geo. Keyshawn Vaughn, there's three running backs on the roster with a better pass catching profile than Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones probably won't get goal line carries because he fumbles. I did, I did not see any way that Ronald Jones yeah. was anything more than a between the tackles grinder. With Leonard Fournette, the range of outcomes, I thought it was obvious. It's that exactly what we saw in the playoffs, we would just see again in the regular season. So I, I had Leonard Fournette like everywhere. He was my highest exposure running back in my hundreds of best ball drafts. I had him in almost every redraft league. I have him on a ton of dynasty rosters because I was like, give me Leonard Fournette. Mm -hmm. This guy has like top five running back in his range of outcomes this year. And everyone seems to think that he's washed and he's fat and that you're an idiot for trusting (laughs) him. So I'm going to take a nice victory lap that I was not avoiding a full-on bell cow on a top five offense going in the the 10th round of drafts this year. I'm sorry. I would totally regret if I didn't say this. Do you even Ronald Jones, bro? (laughs) What's funny is uh, a buddy in mine, a buddy, uh, a buddy and I, we did a, like a high stakes redraft league and we drafted both Rojo and Fournette and week one, because it seemed like Rojo was the starter. We started Ronald Jones week one. Mm-hmm. That might have cost us a playoff spot in that league. For sure. Yeah. We're getting that first loss when we should have just trusted that Leonard Fournette was Leonard Fournette. So, yeah, yeah. we started Ronald Jones that first week and we were like, <laughs> okay, it's exciting that we have Leonard Fournette in our hands. He's clearly the lead back. But my goodness, why did we start Ronald Jones week one? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for future reference, everyone listening, if you have a running back and the team decides to bring in not one guy who can catch the ball, but then a second guy in the following offseason to catch the ball, odds are your guy is not going to do much in the passing game. So don't you, Ronald Jones, bro. Jonesy, tell the people listening, what's your biggest victory lap and what are you going to rub in some people's faces? I mean, obviously, besides Cooper Cup, which, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to keep, keep that. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep it. Until next year when keep I get it something. Keep it a hundred, dude. But, Just keep it on a million. 
Man, you remember at the beginning of the year I said I really like three quarterbacks, and I won't be surprised if all three of them finish in the top ten this year for fantasy. I do remember you talking about quarterbacks, but why don't you go ahead and elaborate for those listening? So for the three quarterbacks that I said will finish in the top ten this year, at least Jalen Hurts, nine, Matt Stafford, six, Justin Herbert, two. Now, frankly, did I say Herbert would finish one? Yes. 20-ish points off. But those three in the top ten, nailed it right on the head there. Absolutely. Because I even told you, I said, Lamar has a down year. Unfortunately, got hurt. But I knew he wasn't going to have – he was he was on pace to have, uh, like, a record-breaking season. And I was going to look like the biggest idiot in the world. But didn't finish within the top 15 for fantasy quarterbacks because of the injury. Um, so we'll take what we can there. And plus – since before, like after the buy, usually people get better after the buy. He was progressively worse after that bar. So the way it was trending, it didn't look great, but who knows? Tyler Huntley looked good in a bunch of games. Lamar could have easily done what he did and then take a step above. Um, but no, those three quarterbacks being in the top 10 is definitely my victory lap that I'm going to be taking. Yeah, you definitely earned that one. Uh, I have a minor victory lap, maybe a half a lap, and then I'm going to take a, a million unnecessary laps and Jones, you might know exactly what I'm about to talk about. First oh, one, Javante <laughs> Williams. I was high on him early in the season. And even though he was in a pretty much 50, 50 split, the guy balled out and he was definitely reliable week to week. Did he, you know, hit those highs every week? No, but you know, he finished pretty strong and, and what you saw in the field. So if you brought him on board in dynasty, you're loving what you're seeing, but the other victory lap in week 14, I said Brevin Jordan would be a top 10 tight end, and that mofo was the number six tight end that week, and I will live in infamy as the Brevin Jordan guy in week 14, and I will continuously victory lap until I run out of gas. Jones, your reaction is exactly what I was hoping for. Josh, I've been listening to Brevin Jordan since week 14, and I want to rip every single follicle of my hair out of my head. <laughs> I, I like Blurvin Jordan. He was, I used him in DFS a few weeks because he was always the minimum price. Mm-hmm. And I like the athletic tight ends where it's just a terrible receiving core and that you can see him being the most targeted player on that offense in a given week. So I felt like he was always the cheapest guy that had the potential to lead his team in targets any given week. So I like Brevin Jordan, but yeah, yeah I, I would, I would not have given him like a top 10 projection or anything like that any of these weeks. So but- that's in fairness, it was my bold call. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> we lean on that term bold call so we can just get nuts with it. But, hey, it, it turned out, you know, he, at the time, you know, he was just seeing a lot of red zone targets. And like you said, he's a super athlete. And let's not get it twisted. When the draft process started off last year, people thought that he would be the tight end two behind Kyle Pitts. Did not play out that way. Our boy Pat Fryermuth ended up settling very nicely in that role. But Revan Jordan hooked me up in week 14 and forever. Also, he wears number nine, and that just happens to be my favorite number. Not really anything analytical there, but I just happen to like to see it. So thanks, Brevin Jordan, for giving me a moment in the sun this season. That's the good side of the coin. Let's go ahead and flip to the other side because you know what? We got to be accountable to things we got wrong. We can victory lap and rub it in people's faces all we want, and that's all well and good, and it's fun. It's definitely fun, but we got to take our comeuppance too. We got to come up and be honest when the things we got wrong, and I'll get it started here. I got the Tampa Bay passing game completely wrong. I faded Chris Godwin and Mike Evans to an extent where I wasn't getting them anywhere. 
and I completely regret it. Uh, I pretend, I guess I put a lot of faith in a lunatic that ended the season by running off the field without a shirt on. A prediction I don't think anyone could have really seen coming, but that's where uh, I am walking the streets and hearing that awful sound of shame, shame, shame behind me. Josie, what is your uh, biggest walk of shame from 2021? Man, I mean, I think for me, probably, um, it's definitely not having um, enough faith in a guy like Joe Mixon. Um, I was ready to write Joe Mixon off as a a guy that you take very early on in the first three rounds and always disappoints you year after year. This was the year that he had his big his big year, and he uh, let everybody know that I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. So for me, uh, not uh, going high on him, definitely for sure. And then another one, like you said, um, definitely just not just going too just too running back heavy in the first couple rounds. If I look at all my teams, you know, whether it's Derrick Henry or Christian McCaffrey, one of these top running backs, they got hurt at the beginning of the year. So I mean. When you're looking at these high picks, you're like, oh, this is a great spot for me and I can build a a fantastic team. But then the lackluster of around doesn't help as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. That, uh, you know, that's going to go down as one of the kind of the most unlucky first two rounds if you went running back heavy uh, in 2021. Josh, what is your walk of shame from this past season? I think the, the big miss that I had was I wasn't taking a lot of Debo Samuel. And as anyone who plays fantasy football knows, uh, he was absolutely incredible this year. My concerns with him were like the, the basically negative a dot last year. Mm-hmm. He had never shown that he could stay healthy for a full season yet. His playing style was very, very aggressive and he invites contact. I didn't like that. There was Ayuk and Kittle there. And I saw him as likely the third highest target share in a very run heavy pass offense likely with a rookie quarterback and just kind of kept making excuses for I shouldn't draft him. When I think looking back on it, when we don't really know what the pecking order is, you draft the cheapest option. He -hmm. was so much cheaper than Kittle and Ayuk. should have had more Debo. So I I don't think I had Debo on any, I don't have like, I have him nowhere redraft dynasty right now. Had him on very few like best ball teams. So even like DFS, I by the time I caught on to Debo, his salary was so yeah. high because I kept being like, man, this guy's getting so few targets even still. And he was at, he had like 20 yards per reception for a while, just cr- some absolute craziness with his efficiency. And yeah. it just took me too long to become a believer. And by then it was too late and I was slow. So missed on Debo. It, it, Debo, he was the yak god of this season. He was right up there. Uh, you mentioned it briefly, the rookie. Did you go into the season believing Trey Lance was going to get a little bit more run than he did? Yeah, I, I wasn't one of the people that was like, oh, Lance is starting from week one or week two. But I, I thought he was going to be the starter by mm. week seven. Coming out of that that bye week, I thought it was going to be Trey Lance's team, most likely. I was wrong. He was clearly the the second option to... Garoppolo, sorry if you hear sirens in the background. Are you getting raided right now? Did someone? We're not so live streaming. No I tell people this all the time. Like, I live in San Diego. It's a great place. I do not live in actually like the the safest block. There is constant sirens from police. <laughs> I live across the street from a fire station. 
it gets noisy. So <laughs> that is, that is what I'm dealing with. There's like the people are just constantly being arrested on my block. I don't know what's going on. I mean, this is the walk of shame segment. This isn't the come arrest the guy for it segment. I, mean, I know geez. I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. I had too much. I, you can on a Debo. What do you, what do you want from me? It's funny too. <laughs> you know, it, when it comes to the Tampa Bay offense, I was gung ho on AB because he was the cheapest option. But it's mm-hmm. funny how sometimes you put blinders on for a different squad. I mean, the same principles should have been there for San Francisco. You go with the cheaper option. Yep. But, you know, for the reasons you said, you know, he didn't have, he wasn't really producing much in terms of uh, his efficiencies. And he seemed like he could be injury prone. And we also did not see that Kyle Shanahan was going to turn him into Christian McCaffrey. No one could have really saw that. That's an incredible, crazy outcome. But, you know, they <laughs> always talked about how he was just so dynamic at South Carolina. So, hey. We live and we learn. Last thing we're going to talk about here from our big three is our biggest takeaway from 2021. You know, what lessons have we learned? So, Josh, why don't you get us started with your biggest takeaway from 2021? I think the, the biggest takeaway I had kind of reinforcing that I'd started to gravitate towards more before this season. And then I felt like a lot of my misses just kind of involved not just pounding players and good offenses mm. and that. Yes, there, there can be gems in bad offenses. However, if you look, so many landmines are because dysfunctional offense, bad quarterback play in that. I think what I want to continue to lean on next year, even harder than I did this year, is just like why I loved Leonard Fournette. It's like such a good offense. You just have to draft Leonard Fournette. Mm-hmm. Debo, like I thought the Niners were actually going to be a pretty good offense. So I should have been drafting like the cheapest option in that offense. Like I, t- I had a lot of Elijah Mitchell. I had a lot of sermon. Like I was just like, oh, like I want all these 49ers. I just didn't have Debo. So I think <laughs> good players in good offenses, they don't even have to be a great player. Like I don't think Mike Williams is like the, the best talent ever, but I didn't have enough Mike Williams. And what I should have mm-hmm. been like is, hey, do I think Justin Herbert's an elite quarterback? Yes. Were they the fastest or like second fastest pace of play team last year and project to be similar this year? Yes. Do they have no 20 carries a game running back? So they're probably mm-hmm. going to skew pass heavy. Yes. Should have had more Mike Williams. So I think like should have had more Mike Evans, a little concerned with the target share. Mm-hmm. Turns out my target share concerns were warranted, but he got me with 14 touchdowns and you can mm-hmm. make up for a bad target share when you're on a good offense. Whereas the, the players that just underwhelm like an Allen Robinson, I, I knew the bears weren't going to be a good offense. I, I was fading Robinson, but I still had him in a couple leagues. Should have just said, you know what? I don't want a guy like Allen Robinson where it's a rookie quarterback and what should be a terrible offense, no offensive line. So just getting back to basics and saying, you know what? We, we understand fantasy football is a very touchdown heavy scoring format. We need to continue to lean into that more. And that usually the league winning players are on the very good offenses. Yeah. And I think the, just to piggyback on that as well, just – it's tough in the preseason to care about injuries because they're so kind of volatile and they're not really predictable, but they happen. And sometimes I, th- I, mean, I know I'm guilty of this. I just, my guy's not going to get hurt. I need him this year. Why would I ever think about him getting hurt? But if I had, maybe I would have picked up a guy, you know, a third option on an offense that maybe becomes a number two offensive uh, a weapon in a good offense. So I think that's a great takeaway to really Rely on the good offenses. Let the let the NFL teams do the work. They build the offenses. We might as well just continuously leech on to, to, the, to the guys who perform. So I, I think that's a great takeaway from this past season. Jones, what's your biggest takeaway from the uh, 2021 season? Uh, my biggest takeaway, I mean, for me, 
beginning of the year, I had so much Amon Ross and Brown stock. And with the inconsistency of target share the first couple of weeks, I did not have faith. And I, I dropped them and I looked like an idiot. So I think more so it's trust your draft strategy a little bit more. Um, you drafted this guy for a reason. And um, it might not look good right away, but instead of dropping, try and moving him for pieces rather than drop and try and pick up some schmuck that had a good week off the mm. waiver wire. Yeah, I think that's also a great point. You know, have faith in your draft process. You do the work, you know, whether you listen to podcasts or you read articles or a collection of all of the above, you know, you do the work. So trust your draft process. That's a great takeaway. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get a little sappy here. Cue the after school special music here. My biggest takeaway: This is our first year really doing fantasy football content, and I just can't believe how cool some of the people in this community really are. I mean, the guests that have agreed to come on this no name show is fantastic, and they keep coming on. And I'm just gonna go ahead and make this super awkward. Everyone listening, Josh, you reached out was a couple months ago out of the blue and just gave me some encouraging, uh, uh, an encouraging message. And it just really powered me, really inspired me to keep it going. So like the people in this community, although sometimes there's squabbles on Twitter and sometimes people get snarky and try to be funny and stuff at the core of it. I think this is, this is a great community of really great people. So uh, that's my biggest takeaway. So, you know, hate on it. You know, I see you guys with the small violins, keep playing them, <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. It's some good people. And Josh, you are one of the good apples. So thank you so much for being, uh, being you, man. Thank you. All right. So that's going to wrap up the sappy segment. Let's get the energy back up. You know, I bring it down, but I'm the host. I can do what I want. Let's keep this ball rolling to my favorite segment that we do on this show the fantasy football market watch but this is a little bit special since the season's over we're looking at playoffs here this is the dynasty edition so if you play in dynasty leagues listen up we got five guys we're going to talk about whether you should buy hold or sell uh the first guy on this list jonesy you just mentioned him so i'm going to let you go first i'm talking about the wide receiver from the detroit lions mr amon ra st brown rostered in about 80% of leagues, but how are you handling them in your dynasty leagues? Uh, if I'm holding on, if I'm, if I have them in any dynasty leagues, I'm holding. Uh, if I don't, I'm doing what I can to buy because he is uh, their number one target next year. There's no doubt in my mind that this Detroit Lions passing attack is going through Amon Ross St. Brown. We were very high on TJ Hawkinson at the beginning of the year and he looked good for two weeks and fully disappointed the rest of the year. Amon Ross St. Brown's the guy he was getting target after target uh, the last month and a half of the season. Trust me when I tell you this is a guy you're going to want to have for for at least next year and plenty of years to come if he's the number one guy in Detroit. Absolutely. Josh, how are you handling Amon Ross St. Brown in your dynasty leagues? So I think I, I put him down as a hold because I think there's kind of like conflicting signals. For one, I mean, we saw the historic end of season. He was getting 10, 11, 12 targets a game. I don't remember exactly what the stat was. I heard something. It was like there had been, never been a rookie receiver to have. I think it was never had there been a rookie receiver eight or more catches in five straight games. Mm-hmm. And then there might have been another one with the yardage mixed in with the eight catches. I don't remember. But whatever it was, his run with the targets and the catches had never been done before. That's impressive. The not so impressive his production did come once Hawkinson was out most mm-hmm. of the time Swift was out as well and he's a fourth round pick 
we we know just historically the struggles that these guys face their first one, two, three years in the league to stay relevant when they're drafted that late. So yes, I think that he he has boosted his stock. He's no longer looked at as a fourth round pick, but that is still part of his profile. And then efficiency-wise, he was not very efficient. He was 64th in the NFL in yards per target. If we look at week 13 onwards, we only look at the 12 target games, basically once he broke out. If you only look at like those, those six weeks, he had 8.4 yards of target. That would have been 43rd in the NFL. Mm. And Khalif Raymond, for a comparison over the full season, uh, what I think we could all agree is an inferior talent, 8.1 yards of target for the whole season. So Amon Ra's like ridiculous stretch was basically the same efficiency that Khalif Raymond had throughout the year based on targets. Yes, I know Raymond, a little deeper target depth than St. Brown, but I think there's some cause for concern that St. Brown, there, I, I think he is still in the bucket of potentially a product of no Hawkinson and no Swift. So I think that's my concern. The, the pro is obvious. If he was not very talented, he would not be able to command 10, 11, 12 targets a game, mm. every single game. So that's why I think there's kind of conflicting stuff. He's kind of a hold for me right now, just because this could be the next Deontay Johnson type player where everyone makes excuses and all he does is command targets. We've also seen some guys flame out where, uh, I mean, if we just think about Ayuk, we saw this with him as a rookie, everyone gets injured. He looks like an absolute stud. The, the guys with potentially more pedigree or similar pedigree come back. And Ayuk is no longer just this bounty of fantasy points and targets. So I think there's, there's definitely some concerns, a lot to like. He's a hold for me. I see both sides. Yeah, is how it boils down in my eyes here. How I'm playing it in any of my dynasty leagues. I'm holding if I roster because I think that perception is pretty universally shared, and I don't think you'll get kind of the value of a guy who warranted 12 targets over the last six or seven weeks. Uh, but one thing I would try to take advantage of later in the off season is that narrative. If the Detroit Lions draft a running back, uh, a wide receiver, or if, you know, there's reports that, you know, Goff is building a rapport with someone else like Hawkinson or stuff, then that will only kind of magnify the, the narrative that he was just getting insane volume. And I think that will bring the price to a level which I'm comfortable buying because at the end of the day, Josh, the, the concerns you bring up are very much real. And at the end, of the, when we saw Swift in the beginning part of the year, he was the most targeted running back in in fantasy football and all in real football as well. And TJ Hawkinson is a former first round pick. He will warrant uh, opportunities. They will get him the ball. And Jared Goff is a guy who's shown over his career that he will gravitate to somebody. But if the options are there, you know, he can pass the ball a little bit. Uh, so I'm holding if I roster, I'm not selling because I don't think the value is there yet. And I'm waiting until a little bit later in the offseason to see if that drum beat gets louder in terms of the volume. And I think that will be my level in which I'm buying. So I think we're all kind of on the same page here. Jones, do you have anything you want to add about Mr. Amon Ra? I think the only little like sort of comparison I can make towards Amon Ra St. Brown, and I don't want it to um, to be taken the wrong way, but from coming from a Jared Goff perspective, you know, you got this um, this later round wide receiver talent coming in. It takes a little bit to get going, but uh, as the season progresses, they look really well. They work well together, and who knows? It could be just like what we what we've seen out of 
a guy that they've already done this. And that guy had a fantastic season, with a different quarterback as well uh, in Cooper Cup. So just these, these guys that come out of college um, later on picks, not uh, people, people aren't really thinking the most out of it. And then all of a sudden they get a good opportunity. Boom. They make the most out of it. 90 That's- receptions for them this year. That's a great point, too, in terms of Dynasty and mm-hmm. Amon Ra, that a, a, an improvement at quarterback could be, you know, probably not around the corner, like in terms of next year, but maybe the year after that. Or, so that's that's a good thing to bring up. The, speaking of quarterbacks, the next guy on this list is quite polarizing in terms of, of uh, fantasy football. We're going to talk about the former first overall draft pick, Trevor Lawrence. Now, we're going to talk mainly in a super flex dynamic because I think in one QB leagues, He's not going to be rostered, and I think he'll be readily available to buy or to draft in your in your draft next year or such because he's only about 25% rostered. In one QB leagues, you're not really too fond of, of Trevor Lawrence after the season. But in Superflex leagues, he's very much a key cornerstone guy. So let's talk about it here. Jonesy, what are you doing with Trevor Lawrence in Superflex leagues? I own him. I'm holding right now just based off of um... – what their their coaching situation looks like next year. I think that's going to factor into to what Lawrence's pr- productivity can uh, can be because obviously this year that offensive line wasn't wasn't good for them, um, and there were points and times in many games this season that he literally, if he's not getting the ball within the first three and a half four seconds, he's nothing good's coming of it. So in super flex leagues, I'm holding. If I have him, uh, but I mean, more than that, I don't, you just have to wait and see what the, the coach staff looks like next year for them. Yeah. That'll obviously be a big change of events. Josh, what are you doing with Mr. Sunshine, Trevor Lawrence in dynasty? So I assure you guys I'll have some more. Uh, I'll take a stand with our, our next three guys, but. We're, we're going to start off with back-to-back holds. <laughs> so with Trevor Lawrence, once again, I'll provide some stats that show uh, a guy that could have a very wide range of outcomes who flashed and struggled at the same time as a rookie. So to Trevor Lawrence's credit, he was playing with a terrible core of skill players. ETN gone in the preseason. The field stretcher that really opened up the offense, DJ Shark, injured early mm-hmm. on in the season. Urban Meyer, I mean, I don't even need to say the word. I'll just say, yee-haw, yee-haw. <laughs> we, we, we know what Urban is. One of the worst head coaches in NFL history. And the receivers, they didn't help him out. You have LaVisca Chenault, who's ridiculous once the ball is in his hands. For some reason, cannot quite figure out how to get open. Marvin Jones has never been a big separator himself. And... If you look at uh, when the, the Jacksonville receivers were targeted, uh, Trevor Lawrence had the, the 50th best receiver target separation, according to pro, player profiler, for targeted receivers, which means basically every other quarterback that was ever playing this year was getting better target separation out of their, their receivers when they targeted them. Maybe you blame it on Trevor Lawrence throwing to guys that are not open. I think a lot of it is that his receivers were never getting open. Number one in the NFL and dropped passes. So the receivers, they're not helping him there. However, he was number four in money throws, which is the the player profiler game charter saying this was a ridiculous throw. This is significantly above average key third down conversion or perfectly placed deep ball. So fourth most money throws in the NFL with 40. Also third most danger plays like interception worthy plays like 
holding the ball too long and take like a strip sack opportunity. Number three in danger place. He had 49 of those. So a ton of really good flashes, a ton of really, really bad moments as well. So just a total mixed bag of rookie season. I think you just have to hold. Uh, if someone's really panic selling him, then yes, you, you want Trevor Lawrence. He has incredible job security. He is the first overall pick. This is the, the future of the Jacksonville franchise's rebuild this time around. So I don't think there's any world, unless he's like Jamarcus Russell or Ryan Leaf, don't think there's any world where Trevor Lawrence is not the starter, at least the next two plus seasons there. So I'm holding because of the, the wide range of factors contributing to his rookie year. Trevor Lawrence, I think now is the time to buy. So I'll take a little bit more of an aggressive stance here where I'm really actively trying to get in on him. And this might sound crazy, but if you were a pretty successful team, you have a late round one and you're in Superflex, I think this is the time to cash in here because there's no quarterback in this draft that has the talent profile of a Trevor Lawrence. And the two stats that really popped out to me, Josh, you just said them. He was first in drop passes and fourth in big money throws. So, I mean, when you put those two things together, it's easy to see a picture in which the arm talent didn't translate to the production that you're used to seeing with a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Yes, top-end prospects can bust. It's not foolproof. But I think now the, the, the perception around this guy is he's a lost cause. And that's just not true. We saw him play pretty well this past weekend, you know, showing his athleticism, making some really good throws, and they have good picks this upcoming year. Obviously, they have the 1-1. One, one. They're probably going to use it on a defensive pass rusher, but say they use it on the left tackle from Alabama and really shore up that offensive line. That'll help. And I think the important thing to take away here is if you're trying to buy, if you believe in Trevor Lawrence, you got to do it now. You can't do it before they bring in a hot shot coach. You can't do it before they nail a draft. You can't do it before they bring in good free agents because they do have the cap space. If you wait until a little bit before the season, maybe the summer, his stock could be right back to where it was preseason in 2021. So use this window to really get aggressive and buy now. Like I said, I'm willing to end to trade a, a, a late round one for a guy who was probably the 101 in your rookie draft this past year. So that's going to, I think we have a pretty good range of what we kind of, how we're looking at Trevor Lawrence. So take that and use that to your advantage. Next guy on this list is someone who's produced at a very high level for a very long time, but people are wondering, how should they handle Ezekiel Elliott? Josh, in Dynasty, what should people do with Zeke? You have to sell Zeke. There's, there's few assets that are declining as precipitously in value basically by the day, or I guess by the game. Like every single game Zeke plays, and we see, oh, he's, is he playing hurt? I don't know. Pollard looks better. The, what's the upside here? It's just not... The, the Zeke that we used to know is, I think he's buried somewhere. I don't know if he's ever going to come back. Zeke is getting old. If uh, you look at running backs that are valued kind of similarly to him, like a Leonard Fournette, I would rather have Leonard Fournette. Mm. Well, Leonard Fournette crushed this year. They're the same age. Leonard Fournette, every single year, aside from the year that he got cut due to salary reasons and them tanking and then had an ankle sprain, so he couldn't be the bell cow until the playoffs. And Tom Brady was like Leonard for, I mean, who, who is probably the best evaluator of talent in the NFL right now? Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. Nobody knows player talent better than Tom Brady. Look at who you Tom recruits. Brady wants Leonard Fournette to be out there on 100% of the snaps with him. 
You want Leonard Fournette over Zeke. I get it. Leonard Fournette, free agent. We saw this last year. Free agent, re-signs with the Bucks, And then, what was he, the, the RB3 per game mm-hmm. this year? That, that is the kind of player that you want if you're looking at a running back. If you want not a running back, players that I've seen valued just below him, give me Marquise Brown, who just keeps commanding targets. He had a 27% target share this year, which was top 12 in the NFL. I get it, Marquise Brown is tiny. What's going on there? I don't know. But all I know is that Marquise Brown, a lot of the, the new school receiving type players, they're really small and they command a ton of targets especially half PPR, PPR formats. They get you a ton of fantasy points. Yes, Zeke was, he was the RB15 in PPR points per game. That still only gave you 14.8 points per game. That's just not a lot of PPR points. There's so many receivers that give you more. Zeke is just no longer a difference maker. Yeah, sure. He was playing hurt this year. I I think so. I'm sure he was. Is he going to be healthy at the start of next season? Probably. Can he get hurt again midseason when he's another year older and he's 27 and a half? Yeah, of course he can. And so the people that are like, oh, he wasn't healthy this year. Yeah, he's going to be another year older. Yeah. He had this nagging injury and they just kept force feeding him carries. You think that's going to extend his shelf life? Like, What are you expecting next year? It's going to be a really good offense. It's going to be a committee with Pollard who was getting double digit touches per game. This, this is a full-on committee at this point, and people just need to recognize that. And if I'm choosing between the two, like Pollard's way cheaper. Just give me Pollard. Several mm. years younger, no, no uh, tread on the tires, and he's looked better this entire season. Uh, and yeah, he, I mean, Tony Pollard led the league in EPA at the running back position if you factor in a minimum, you know, rushing attempts of about 120, 125. Uh, he, he's dynamic and, and there will be an offense. If Kellen Moore leaves, it could be another offensive coordinator, maybe the kind of loyalty shifts here. Uh, so you're, you're, you brought up Marquise Brown. Would you trade Zeke Elliott for, you know, a Hollywood Brown plus? Yeah. Even if I had to just trade him straight up, I would rather have Marquise Brown, but it seems like you can probably get a little more than just a Marquise Brown. So that's what I would do is just grab a young receiver who looks like uh, the past two years, he's been a total target hog with target share. Yeah, sure. It's a low volume offense. That's why you're getting the discount. Mm. Just give, give me the guy that I think is going to have a really stable career that we started to see had some really, really good boom upside this year. Yeah. Just give me that guy. He's going to be on my dynasty team for six, seven years and be very productive. Whereas, I mean, would it shock us if Zeke was averaging 10 fantasy points a game next year? And he's just like, constantly on your bench and maybe getting flexed in your lineup for bye weeks and that's the guy that you kept on your roster when you could have had a marquise brown when you could have had future draft picks like a late first next year no i don't want zeke on this team yeah i i i frequently bring this up here on the show i call it the todd Gurley rule todd Gurley did not take a single snap in the nfl and if that prospect that profile can be out of the league that early it can happen to anybody and a guy like zeke with the tread and the age and where he's getting in his career i completely agree with you i could absolutely see it happening and you know a guy i'm with you i'm looking to sell i'm looking to get some draft picks for him i'm looking to to get a nice package and marquise brown like you said he gets targeted on and off the field yes that is another reference to the amount of girlfriends that man has 
We have to bring it up. It's worth noting. He's got confidence. That's why he wants targets. I know, Jones, you're rolling your eyes here. You're not a big Marquise Brown guy, but are you a big Zeke Elliott guy? Tell the people listening, how are you handling Zeke in Dynasty? Same way Josh is, honestly. It's just like he was lucky to get over a 1,000 yards rushing this season. If it wasn't for uh, the 200-plus carries, not a chance of the even sniffing close to a thousand yards this season. The only reason he was so fantasy relevant from time to time is because again, touchdown dependent. He had 10 touchdowns this year rushing and I believe two receiving. So he was very reliable on the touchdown aspect, but it was just the inconsistencies and I don't think it gets better. I think uh, both take, they struggle against the San Fran and Jerry's like, well, what do I do? I can't just fire Mike McCarthy. I, th- I think Zeke. I think Zeke. Zeke leaves Dallas and goes to another team and 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 absolutely bombs next year. That is a spicy meatball. I love it. I love it. And I do think you know when you look at it, you look up and he's RB seven, but he's RB fifteen in points per game. It's a red flag in terms of it's a volume thing over efficiency thing, which is tough to predict year to year. So we're all on the same page. We're giving him the Joey Gladstone treatment. We are cutting also, him out and selling. Also, this was this was the year that he's had the fewest carries in his career. Like he's never had has, lower yeah. lower Good than point. the amount of carries that he has right now. Good point. That's a great point. So maybe the coach staff is also realizing that his career is on the back nine uh for all you golf fans. Next guy on this list We, Josh, Josh, on this podcast, we are uh, DJ Moore lovers. So we got to talk about him here tonight. So why don't you go ahead, Chris Jones? You are a certified love boy. DJ Moore fan club right at the top of there. But how should Dynasty team builders handle DJ Moore in their leagues? If you have them hold good for a thousand plus yards every year, happens. If you don't have them, try and sell low or try and buy low because of the inconsistency of quarterback and how many overthrows that he's seen this year from uh, Sam Darnold and Cam Newton. Uh, his stock isn't going to be great coming into 2022. Uh, this year he was around about a fourth-round pick. I think next year he's right now in the fifth to sixth round range. Um, but trust me, if you're going to get him in the fifth to sixth round next year, you're going to love life because DJ Moore is a stud. I'm not going to say anymore. Josh has more of the analytic stuff for, for DJ Moore. I already know. I'm holding if I have him, buying absolutely if I don't. You know, I love DJ Moore. The dude is a super athlete. He's been pretty wildly productive over the last three seasons. Uh, I'm holding if I roster him. Uh, the only thing I would say, if you are looking to buy – do it now because, again, fantasy football and, and value, a lot of it is driven on narrative and the public perspective. And if a QB upgrade comes in or a hot shot OC comes in, all of a sudden your discount or your appeared discount disappears. So I'm holding it by roster, and I'm if you're looking to buy, do it now. Josh, what you doing with our boy DJ Moore? So I think he's one of the, the strongest buys in all of Dynasty. I'm also a big DJ Moore enthusiast. Yeah. Uh, while Jones and Larky season yeah, two. While you guys were talking, I checked my phone just to confirm. I'm in a dynasty startup right now, and I took DJ Moore in the fourth round. 
Chris Godwin a couple picks later. I've looked at many different sites that try and get a consensus. They all think Chris Godwin is a better dynasty asset than DJ Moore. I think that's hilarious. If you have Chris Godwin on your team right now, you don't even need to, don't even try and pluck more value. You just want to get the trade done immediately. Just take DJ Moore in your squad. Apparently, almost everyone out there thinks Chris Godwin is a better asset than DJ Moore. I'm going to hit you guys with a few stats just so we can confirm our priors for why DJ Moore is elite. So Godwin is actually more than a year older than DJ Moore. Very strange that Godwin, even post ACL tear, and is older, would he's a free agent, would be uh, more heavily valued than DJ Moore. Uh, The past three years, some target shares. Godwin, twenty two percent, nineteen percent, twenty one percent, hovering around the twenty percent range. DJ Moore. 24%, 24.5%, 24%, 24.5%, and then this year, 28.5%. These are elite alpha wide, like super alpha wide receiver type target shares. Oh, DJ Moore, maybe you think of him as he's a he's an, he's a really good yak guy, isn't he? I'm sure he's he's not running the deep routes, right? He's probably he's just running those easy slant routes. That's yeah. why he's getting a 28.5% target share. And then you look and you go, wow, the past two years, DJ Moore, number four. And then number five in the NFL in team air yard share. All the air yards on the team, they go to DJ Moore. Godwin is not number four and number five the past two years. Godwin is number 62 and number 65. So Chris Godwin, I get it. He's playing with a guy like Evans. Okay. But I mean, DJ Moore was playing with Robbie Anderson. He was playing with Curtis Samuel for a lot of this time. Mm -hmm. Was playing with uh, Christian McCaffrey, who, yes, isn't going to soak up the air yards, but if we're talking target share, I mean, nobody commands more targets mm-hmm. than McCaffrey at the running back position. So DJ Moore is just a phenomenal talent. I took him early fourth round in a super flex startup two days ago. You can't get enough DJ Moore. The guy is still not even 25. He's going to be very productive, at least at this like 11, 1200 receiving yards level for what the next five, six, maybe seven years. And if he gets a quarterback upgrade, watch out because all the peripherals are there. So if we get an elite quarterback and we already know that we have an elite target share and elite target depth, my goodness, the, the this, this ceiling is just, I, he, he could, if, if there's a guy that shoots up and then like, cause obviously Jamar chase, Justin Jefferson are top two. If there's a guy that's shooting up to a clear number three quarterback upgrade, it would be DJ Moore. Because of the youth, he's still only 24. You have to buy DJ Moore. I sincerely apologize to those listening about the heavy breathing. But what you guys are saying is getting your boy hot and bothered. And I just can't help it because I love me some DJ Moore. I believe in DJ Moore. He is going to come back later in the show for one of our questions here. I love DJ Moore. I love hearing what you're saying there. And, I, you know, early in the show, we talk about bro, broing out. Going to get steak dinner? Oh, we may take it to the next level of this DJ Moore dog, baby. Let's go. All right. Let's move on to the last guy on the list. He was mentioned briefly earlier, but now we're going to tell Dynasty team builders how to handle Rashad Penny. Josh, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with Rashad Penny talk and how you're approaching him in your Dynasty leagues. So I looked around at some consensus sources just to understand what the, the average dynasty gamer is looking at with Rashad Penny. They think he's a little bit worse than like a 2022 
early second round pick that they would, if you had the, the 2022 uh, 202 in your draft, that the average dynasty gamer goes, I want that and not Rashad Penny. And I say, no, 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 I'm going to buy Rashad Penny. Give me Rashad Penny. Mm-hmm. Rashad Penny is valued worse than a guy like Ramondre Stevenson, who, yeah, Ramondre Stevenson could be good, but it's not like he had a great prospect profile. He's in what's most likely going to be a committee. I mean, if there's anything predictable in the NFL in fantasy football, it's that Bill Belichick does not like a bell cow running back, and he wants a specialist backfield with a plotter and a pass catcher. Ramondre Stevenson, uphill battle to consistent elite production. Other guys right around Penny, Kareem Hunt, who's actually older and does not look like he's going to be a workhorse ever again. And James Robinson, who just tore his Achilles, is an undrafted free agent. And I mean, what what are we doing with James Robinson? I don't know. I, give me Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny, this year he had four games with a 50% or higher snap share. He had 135 or more rushing yards in all of them. He averaged one and a half rushing touchdowns a game in those four games where he had over a 50% snap share. That is elite. You're basically buying that maybe Penny finally found a conditioning routine that keeps him healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looked uh, pretty damn healthy to me the, the final few weeks of the year. And you're kind of buying that, hey, Chris Carson, done. The neck injuries are too much. This is the starting running back in Seattle. Or if you go somewhere else that he's the starting running back, there, I don't think there's anyone that made the case more to be a starting running back than him. I mean, people were like Khalil Herbert should be the starter. Look what he did. I mean, Penny was basically doubling that production. Yeah. So if, if you're someone out there who thinks Khalil Herbert deserves a fair chance, then you have to buy in on Rashad Penny, who has the first round draft capital, which still matters. Even mm-hmm. at, even at like the late 25 age, like him, wherever he goes next year, he will be, paid and uh, expected to be the full-on starter there. So I'm taking Rashad Penny if I'm a contending team looking at 2022. Look at a buy for sure. Jonesy, what you doing with Mr. Penny? Same as Josh, more uh, more and less. Again, um, just kind of, you know, hoping he stays healthy. Uh, I'm buying him right now in the Dynasty League. I'm getting him for uh, a third in 2022. Actually, because somebody was like, I <clears throat> I desperately need to get rid of this guy because I have such a, a nice little spot going. I was like, it's a third-round pick. And he goes, let's go. We'll talk about this. So it's actually funny because Josh was talking before about trying to get a second from him. Couldn't do it. I got him for a third in one week. So well, congratulations. Just, <laughs> I'm, I, you just got to buy him and just hope for the best because I'm – Looking to use him as my my big flex guy next year in my dynasty league. So I'm hoping that we get that going. Uh, Rashad Penny, stock to the moon. I'm holding, uh, but I am shopping. I could see a scenario where you can get a little crazy and maybe even get like DeAndre Swift for him. And if that's the case, I'm, I'm definitely selling. But I'm I'm being very stern on my asking price because for the reasons you guys you know brought up that this guy could be an absolute asset in 2022 and beyond. So I think we're kind of lockstep here with Rashad Penny. Uh, So why don't we wrap up the fantasy football market watch section and we're going to the next 10 questions, which is the first time we're ever doing it. Very excited to have you aboard Josh to do so. But before we do, I need a little energy and Jonesy, I'm looking at you. Do you got something for me? I do. I do. I do. Uh, 
the Cuban Jones show is not only brought to you by our good friends over at Couch Guys Sports, but we are also sponsored by our good friends over at Shocked Energy. Shocked Energy is the drink made by gamers for gamers. All their flavors compact with 180 milligrams of caffeine to ensure that no matter what you're doing, your focus will always be razor sharp to keep you performing at the top of your game. Their formulas are designed to specifically give you a high energy boost when you need it the most while ensuring to avoid the jitters after too much caffeine consumption. Do yourself a favor, head over to shockedenergy.com, use the promo code CGSN today for 10% off your order. Two different types of flavored boxes. You've got green apple and watermelon. Uh, they ship worldwide. Get your Shocked Energy today and let's help you gain your focus and energy back. Shocked Energy, shout out to you. Like I just said, we got 10 questions for Jonesy and Josh to answer. And I'll chime in as well because, you know, why not? But the first question on everybody's mind, Josh, who was the player that su- surprised you the most? Whether it be good or bad, who just surprised you to your core? So I actually talked about him earlier and I was like, this is just a premium dynasty asset. All of a sudden it's Marquise Brown. I didn't really see this year coming. Yes. He had the the high target share last year. However, I was like, Oh, it's kind of a low volume offense. Uh, If you throw out week 17 of last year, because teams are often playing backups at that time, he didn't have, that was his only 20 fantasy point plus performance of the year. Like Marquise Brown was getting targets on a low volume offense and doing nothing with it. For hmm. fantasy and i thought you know what they just drafted bateman why would i want marquise brown at this point when he's going to be what the number two the number three in a low volume offense and it turns out that mark andrews can go totally nuclear the last few weeks yet who commanded more targets during that span than mark andrews marquise brown and i think that he just kind of suffered a little bit from uh backup quarterback play where they're looking for the big tight end five yards from the line of scrimmage potentially, and that they're not always looking for the the smaller guy like a Marquise Brown. So maybe there's some narrative there, but whatever it is, Marquise Brown commanded more targets than Andrews. Just couldn't believe what was going on. Even when Bateman came back, it was clear Marquise Brown was the wide receiver that was getting the, the quarterback's attention. And I, I just can't believe that a guy who is Uh, my size, maybe even smaller. I'm not a big guy, but I mean, Marquise Brown is what? 155, 160 pounds. That is just ridiculous. He is really, I mean, if you thought a guy like Waddle or Deontay Johnson at 180 pounds is kind of a small receiver in the NFL or like the Elijah Moore, then my goodness, Marquise Brown looks like a twig compared to them, but this is an NFL player. I, I thought this was like a a two, two at well scenario where they're just trying to force feed, this like 150 pounder targets and that, what are you doing? Just you burn the pick, just give up. Couldn't have been more wrong. So I think that was just one of the most surprising things of the season was that we had a 160 pound receiver commanding uh, 27% of his team's targets on what was actually like not a half bad offense. Mm, absolutely. My- in fact, Marquise Brown is 180 pounds listed. So he's listed, listed there. However, he has said in interviews before that he was like, uh, he was 155 as a rookie. He said his second year, he tried to put on pounds up to 165-ish. I don't know if I believe that. I think he's probably still 155 to 160. 
Yeah, he looks it. He looks it. And then you know what they do with those listings. You know, they beef him up. But if I were to list myself, I'd say I was 6'5", even though I'm 5'10". But that's another conversation for a different day. <laughs> My biggest surprise from this past year was Allen Robinson. I know that the offense wasn't necessarily ticked to be a high-end one, but that didn't stop him in 2019 or 2020 where he had – 100 uh, receptions a year was 1100 plus yards and had six and seven uh, touchdowns respectively and finished a top 15 receiver. Uh, And my big, and this is another anecdote that just really uh, nailed it for me was I remember drafting him in one of my leagues and looking at my buddy and saying, well, I wanted to say floor there. What a nincompoop. I'm very surprised with that value. I'm excited to see where he goes next year, and maybe he can resurrect uh, a little bit of this back end of his career. But he definitely surprised me in 2021. Jonesy, who is your biggest surprise this past season? It's going to be James Conner, right? I mean, James Conner for his ADP, finishing top five for running backs in some leagues, top 10 for sure. Um, not a lot of people thought that um, he would – do well in in Arizona once you know Pittsburgh let him go and they went with the rookie running back people were like oh yeah no I mean James Conner but for those who got him as uh, a potential bench guy you were playing the majority of this of your season after week three so Mm -hmm. that was definitely the biggest surprise for me yeah James Conner hit the scene more on him in a minute next question in our 10 question segment what player is your favorite trade target in Dynasty Leagues? I will take the lead here. My favorite target here, the guy that I'm going after everywhere, is Michael Carter. Michael Carter running back for the Jets. You know, the biggest knock on him is he doesn't really have any any noticeable or, or, or impressive trait. But when you look at his player profiler page, you see him sit in the 97th percentile in agility. Agility is good for running backs. He ranked, you know, he was right around a thousand all-purpose yards, four touchdowns. And when you look at his play, his best comparable of Devonta Freeman, Devonta Freeman was a guy who was drafted almost identically to Michael Carter. Uh, he was the third pick in the fourth round, where Michael Carter was the second pick in the fourth round. And Devonta Freeman's had four top twenty running back seasons and was usable in really desperate situations this past season on his second, or should say, third team. So. Michael Carter is a guy I could see sticking around. The Jets probably won't use much of their resources to upgrade the running back position. I think Michael Carter is somebody that I liked what I saw in 2021, and I'm trying to get more of heading into 2022 and beyond. Jonesy, who is your favorite trade target right now in Dynasty Leagues? I mean, it's got to be easy here. It's it's got to be Javante Williams, isn't it? Good luck acquiring yourself some Vante. It's got to be some Javante Williams, isn't it? I mean, that's like dream scenario there. But, I mean, other than that, I'm going to say Michael Pittman. Okay. I think Michael Pittman, um, in the last couple of weeks of the regular season, he didn't look great. Um, but, I mean – Carson Wentz loves throwing the football, and I understand that they're going to be a run-heavy team next year with Jonathan Taylor. Um, but at the same time, if Wentz is throwing the football, nine times out of ten, you got to think it's going to go to Michael Pittman next year. So that would be a guy that uh, going into his third year, I think 
see a little bit of an, up, an uptick in targets for him next year. Michael Pittman is great in contested catches. That's the type of receiver I think you are prone to be interested in when you have a running first team because they will just play hero ball and throw it up to him. And he's pretty good at coming down with it. So that's a good call there. Josh, who is your favorite trade target in Dynasty? So it's actually not even close for me. It is Jalen Hurts. So if I look at our internal playerprofiler.com Dynasty rankings, we have Jalen Hurts at the back end of our top 10 overall players for Superflex Dynasty. This is a young Konami quarterback. His first year as a starter, he's taking his team to the playoffs with, I mean, one of like the all-time shittiest wide receiver cores. Jalen Rager (laughs) and Quez Watkins are playing significant snaps for a first-year starting quarterback. Are you kidding me? And Jalen Hurts takes this team to the playoffs and has a somewhat respectable offense. I think this guy's the real deal. We all know that Russian quarterbacks are a cheat code. I look to keep trade cut one of the, the more well-known consensus dynasty websites where they just sort of pull the public and say, hey, what do you think about this guy? Jalen Hurts in Superflex Dynasty was not a uh, player number nine like we have him. He was player number 43. Wow. Could not find a bigger discrepancy among the, the top players. It has to be Jalen Hurts. You have to get this guy. So... I mean, if we look at the team situation, there's three first round picks coming Mm -hmm. in for the Eagles next year. There's no good quarterback in the class. Jalen Hurts, heavily insulated. Plus, why would you even try to replace the guy that just took your team to the playoffs when everyone thought that this was like, what, a bottom 10 roster in terms of talent? Jalen Hurts is very good at football. So, yeah, if if you think that one of those first round picks is a receiver, or if you think that they sign one in free agency, or if you just think that Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins will stop getting meaningful snaps, you have to like <laughs> the idea of Hurts and Dynasty. Year two, Devonta Smith, he's going to ascend. Goddard's been extended. You know that that's a strong connection. Very good receiving tight end. Jalen Hurts is my number one trade target in Dynasty. Your colleague, Cody Carpentier, is not going to be happy with this Quez Watkins slander on this podcast, Josh. But... I will say there is a saying, you know, if you have haters, be undeniable. And Nick Sirianni was probably a hater coming into the season for Jalen Hurts, but the kid was undeniable. And I agree. I think he's here to stay uh, for at least the foreseeable future. So get Jalen Hurts on your 2022 season uh, or your dynasty team, and you'll be very happy. On the opposite side of the coin, we talked about who we're trying to buy, but what is the player, Josh, that you are selling everywhere in dynasty leagues? So I've got two for you guys. I think I think I'll give two just because I want at least one of these to be spicy. So if you're listening to this, one of these out there will probably surprise you because maybe one of the guys you're like, oh, I didn't like him anywhere. That's fine. But these are two completely different players. There's bound to be one that makes you uh, yeah. spit your drink out and you go, wow, you don't like this guy? Wait, what? Get so the first one, I'm selling if I ha- I don't have him, but if I had him, I would be selling Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, the target hawk. The route running savant who had uh, per game, the 38th highest target share among wide receivers in 2021. That doesn't exactly sound like what I was sold when people would tell me why Jerry Judy is so good. Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, both extended. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noah Fant is there. Albert Okuibunam is there. There are a Great lot of players there that have been uh, sucking targets away from Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy cannot command enough targets. 38th highest target share 
And all four of those guys are going to be there the next one, two, three, four seasons. So if he's not a target hog and he's undersized for a potential wide receiver one in the NFL, and he's not super dynamic after the catch, then what is Jerry Judy? Jerry Judy is just like one of those replacement level dynasty assets where what I mean by that is you're not excited to start him. And if you start him, you're probably just getting some type of mediocre floor, but he's probably withering. If you're a contending team, Jerry Judy is likely on your bench in dynasty. So why Mm -hmm. is he being valued so highly as kind of like a consensus top 70, top 80 dynasty asset? It does not make sense to me. No upside there. And then the other guy, oh, maybe you didn't like Jerry Judy, but you probably like this guy then. Pat Fryermuth. My goodness. <gasps> How dare Pat you? Pat Fryermuth. How dare you? People would rather have Pat Fryermuth than Dallas Goddard. You have got to be kidding me. Uh, Pat Fryermuth is most likely the fourth option in what should be a bad Pittsburgh offense in 2022. Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, very likely all ahead of Pat Fryermuth in the pecking order. What we know is that tight ends to be elite fantasy assets generally need to be the number one or number two in an offense. Fryermuth, he's had a lot of touchdowns this year, and that's kind of helped uh, keep him afloat in many ways. So uh, I like Fryermuth. He has a good prospect profile. So what I'm doing is I am selling him right now. And I'm going to buy him back during the 2022 season when people realize mm. he's the fourth option there for that season. Probably not a very good quarterback and probably not a ton of touchdowns like this year. So Fryermuth, give me Goddard. Let me contend with Goddard next year. And then I can just flip Goddard back for Fryermuth and get the younger tight end going forward. That is what you should be doing. I am fully expecting to hear those sirens again because Cody Carpentier is trying to get you arrested for coming after two of his boys. But I love it. Very spicy. That's what we're here for. Jonesy, who are you selling everywhere? Uh, CEH. I'm selling CEH. Um, <clears throat> you know, he just really hasn't, besides his rookie year, he really hasn't taken that step forward. Uh, I know injuries were a big thing for him this year, but even when he was playing, he wasn't uh, productive. He finished his RB 43 this year in most leagues. And he didn't eclipse 20 points once at all this season. Um, he has one more year left on his deal and then could be out. So his value, if he goes anywhere besides Kansas City, automatically goes down because he's currently in the top five offense. Uh, if he goes literally anywhere else, there's absolutely no value. So do yourself a favor. While he still has value, sell CEH. I'm selling a running back as well. I'm trying to do my best to sell James Conner. We talked about him earlier. You know, the guy had three things going in his favor. 18 total touchdowns. He was able to stay healthy. And his main competition for touches in the backfield got hurt in Chase Edmonds. And I think that given his RB5 finish, he will have cachet in your league. But he is a free agent. I don't know if he goes back to Arizona, and even if he does, I still like Chase Edmonds over uh, James Conner going into 2022, pending both of them being healthy. Uh, so I think now's your time to go ahead and sell someone who just balled out in 2021 in James Conner. Let's I, move. Can I make Can I make a comment on that before we move forward? Of course you can. I would take James Conner over your boy, who? Philadelphia running back Miles Sanders. What? 
I, I don't, I don't trust. We, it's been three years what? now, and we haven't seen Miles Sanders. We haven't seen Miles Sanders lived up to what he, people thought he would be. He, I mean, he did pretty well in the stretch this the season. He had multiple back. I think he had back to back, if I'm not mistaken, maybe even back to back to back hundred yard games. Ooh, I think if. If we no. were in a dynasty league together and I had James Conner and you had Miles Sanders, we would be making a deal right here, right now. Oh, hands down. So with Miles Sanders, why I like Sanders is he feels a lot like Joe Mixon. And I like Joe Mixon this year, and people were like, how can you like Joe Mixon this year? And they would. I think what they did is they focused, I thought at least, they focused too much on the player. And they were like, Joe Mixon, he's been underperforming. The fantasy points weren't there. He couldn't stay healthy. And if you zoomed out, it was like, well, the reason I like Joe Mixon was everything that you want in a league winning running back was there. He's big. He's explosive. He can catch passes. He's going to get goal line work. And I think all those options still exist for Miles Sanders, where he's an explosive athlete. He's pretty big. He's over 210 pounds. He's got the, the requisite size. We know that he has gotten goal line carries before. He didn't get them this year, but we know that that is in his range of outcomes. And we know that he has strung together many healthy explosive games in a row, like we saw his rookie year. So that is why I I always like those players is I think sometimes we get a little bit focused on the player themselves. And I think that's usually where I'm wrong with my takes is when I get too player focused. So I think with Sanders, what I like is that the overall profile still has the, the league winning it smells like a potential league winner. Probably won't happen since there's only so many league winners a year, but we just saw it with Mixon where everyone hated Mixon, but he was still big and fast and a bell cow. And I think that range of outcomes is still there from for Sanders. Whereas I think with Connor, it's only there if there's an injury where it was clear they were limiting his touches when Edmonds mm. was healthy. So that is that is my fear with with Connor over Sanders and why I would take Sanders in addition to Sanders being younger. That's a good call. But, you know, teach their own, handle your team as you will. This next question, we may breeze through it, but it's worth bringing up. He was mentioned at the top of the show, Mr. Javante Williams. Is he worth being drafted as an RB1 in 2022? I'll go first. I'm going to say yes. I will say it. He is whether Melly G signs back or not. I think if Melly G comes back, he is a even stronger side of the platoon. I think you could see him creep into that 65% snap share range, which would mean he's a beast. And I think he, if he was to uh, kind of sh- hand over some touches to a guy like Mel- Melvin Gordon in 2022, it'll help his long-term health. We saw him get banged up this year, so we want to make sure he's healthy all year. So, yes, I think he's worth being drafted as an RB1 in 2022. But what say you, Chris Jones? Really? You're asking me this question? Well, the people yes. listening want to yes. know. Yes, of course I'm taking him as RB1 next year. I don't even care. Where no, I do care. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> if I'm in the the beginning part of the second round and the late part of the second round, and he's still there, 100 percent snag him. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll see how the offseason plays out, but I see him kind of going into draft season as the 2022 version of Antonio Gibson, which we talked about uh, earlier in our, our shows early in the season, Jonesy, that we were big on him. You know, it didn't come to fruition as much as we had hoped in terms of being the all-encompassing bell cow, but a guy like Javante has such a tremendous skill set that uh, I think we're locked up here. But let's see if we can be the three best friends that anyone has ever had. Josh, how are you viewing Javante in 2022? So not to rain on the parade too much, but I don't quite have that love. For okay, that's tonight's show. Uh, we're going to wrap up here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> dynasty, he's, I think he's a locked and loaded top five dynasty running back. For redraft next year, if a Melvin Gordon resigns, do I think that Javante is going to be the heavy end of the committee? Yes. We know historically that the, the high drafted running backs in year two they generally get the full reins and that you're not trading up into the second round to timeshare a guy for back-to-back seasons. However, does that mean that I want to draft him as an RB1? Not necessarily. If Melvin Gordon resigns there, do I think Javante is going to be a lot better than this year? Yes. However, I still don't know if that league winning potential exists if Gordon is healthy. The other aspect of this is we don't know who the quarterback is. Yeah, if, if uh, Aaron Rodgers is there, then of course, I'm just going to have to buy in on this offense and say, you know what? It's going to be a top five offense. Rodgers is there. Good receiving core, decent offensive line, most likely a good running back, Javante. But I don't quite have that same enthusiasm because I think there's a few factors that need to come into place for me where the, the offense overall concerns, who's the quarterback. And then if uh, Melvin Gordon resigns, I think if they bring in someone else who's not, quite as accomplished as a Gordon, then yes, I think he's probably going to be an RV one, but that, that is the fear is that Javante stayed healthy, partly because of Melvin Gordon taking touches. And it was a very solid running game. It's not like Melvin Gordon yeah. was bad. No, he was great. So yes. Like Javante is probably going to get like the heavy end of the committee. It, it's pretty rare for this type of running back not to, but I don't know if I'm investing that heavily in him when we'd look at like sort of a committee back who's still a running back and has a high risk of injury when there's going to be some pretty bona fide stud receivers or a difference making tight end available in that range. So I'm taking a little more of a wait and see approach. Let's see what happens with the surrounding factors. If I was doing a 2022 draft now and he was going early second round, I would not take Javante Williams. Okay, so the DJ Moore talk brought us into a, a, a proverbial, maybe a metaphorical jacuzzi where we all hang out as bros. Okay, you're going against Javante. We're back to a steak dinner. It is what it is. We're not mad about it. It is. I'm glad you have the pushback because sometimes you have to temper expectations. And Jonesy and I get a little bit excited when it comes to Javante Williams. But why don't we move on to the fifth question in our 10 question segment? Who is the best bounce back candidate? for the 2022 season. And I'll get it started here. I'm going with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has balled out in these last two weeks of the season, being QB2 and QB7. Uh, And I think that sometimes you have to factor in, even though it's not necessarily quantifiable, but you have to factor in the human aspect of the game. And he's kind of, I think he's over this relationship with Pete Carroll. And I think whether he goes to a new team, maybe he's the new starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, or they bring in a new head coach. Maybe they bring in Brian Flores. 
into Seattle. And if they haven't fired Pete Carroll yet as of this recording, so maybe he's back. But I think that either way, Russell Wilson will feel invigorated in the 2022 season, and I'm trying to grab him wherever I can in redrafts because I think he is ready to bounce back in a major way next season. But, Josh, who is your number one bounce-back candidate in the 2022 season? We're going to stay in the, the PNW or the, the Pacific Northwest, as it is known. Mine is uh, <laughs> DK Metcalf. Oh, baby. DK Metcalf underwhelmed. He's going to be going pretty late in drafts next year compared to this year. You can't take him around the 2-3 turn because he burns you in 2021. And then you look up in the peripherals. They are there. Number eight target share in the entire NFL. Number 10 team air yard share in the entire NFL. Looks like DK Metcalf was doing just fine with a lot of the the factors he could control. At Player Profiler, we track something called unrealized air yards. Essentially, uh, target depth that went to the receiver that did not end up being a catch. Often pretty predictive of bounce back candidates. Who is number one on the leaderboard? It is DK Metcalf, who had nearly 1,000 unrealized air yards. So I think even if Russ is not there, I would still take DK Metcalf above consensus because that would just mean his ADP is so ridiculously low that I want to buy in on a guy with his physical tools and his track record of success. So right now we're at two for two with, uh, or we'll say one and a half of two with Seahawks because we don't know where Russ is next year. I do. I think I'm going to disagree with you a touch. I actually think he's going to resign with Seattle. We just don't see that many quarterbacks change hands in general. So I'm just going to lean on. He stays in Seattle. He clearly likes it there. And it just seems like the, his big gripe is he wants to be more involved to the decision-making and the roster building like a Tom Brady. And I think Russ has earned that. I think they give that to him a little more next year because they realize that life without Russ is bleak. They just, they just saw it this year when he missed four games. My goodness, that offense was so unwatchable. I think yeah. that he stays in Seattle. I think DK Metcalf, I don't know, maybe he goes uh, round four, round five next year, and it's just a total smash at ADP. I'm ready for some decaling bounce back in 2022, no doubt about it. Jonesy, tell me who your big bounce back candidate for 2022 is. It's going to be surprising you, Kevin, because you know how I feel about this guy. But uh, bounce back candidate for 2022 was head coach just got fired. Uh, it's going to be none other than Saquon Barkley. Ooh, Barkley back? Saquon, Question mark? Saquon, Saquon without Joe Judge, very good. Saquon with Joe Judge, not great. So I'm expecting big things for Saquon next year. Um, and looking at w- a little bit of early uh, draft rankings, they have him going anywhere between 40 and, and 65. So if you're going to get Saquon at that kind of value, that's uh, it's going to be pretty good next year. Yeah, you want to get a guy with that type of quads on your roster if you can. And the new coach will be great for him. And let's see how that offense moves going forward. Saquon Barkley, bounce back in 22. I, uh, yeah. I like where you're at there. Josh, you got yeah, something you want to add about that? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Jones, disagreed with you on James Conner. Strongly agree with you on Saquon. So we're, we're one for two on the running backs. My jaw like kind of dropped when you were like, he's going in the 40s range. My goodness. Maybe Looking I should have some um, early drafts like Looking at PFF as we speak, and he is uh, – where is he? I just, we we, I we don't him. talk about PFF. They're a competitor. All right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, because he wasn't that he wasn't that high up. By PFF, you mean player profiler, correct? Yes, that's the one. Or or PPF or something. Yes. Sorry. Excuse me. Uh, where is he now? I can't find him. We'll move on, and then I'll. No, of course I'll we'll come back. To, we'll come back because he he's definitely going to be somebody in drafts next season. That's very uh, polarizing because the talent's there. You know, the draft capital's there. Everything is there, and if the coach and the offense kind of goes into a better direction and trends up going into draft season, that's that's somebody that I think could definitely bounce back. Uh, let's make this next question pretty brief here because it really comes down to I think two players, maybe three. But fantasy gamers want to know. Who is the 101 in redrafts next season? Josh, who do you got at the number one pick for next year? So number one in fantasy points per game next year, you can pretty much book it. It's going to be McCaffrey. However, the, we, have, we have never seen a running back miss the majority of back-to-back seasons in his prime and then be good again. Mm-hmm. Running backs have a very short shelf life. To miss most of two prime seasons We have just never seen a guy return from that and be productive and have a good full season. So McCaffrey's probably going to average 27 fantasy points a game. History is not kind to him staying healthy. It's going to be Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, yes, the receiving faded down the stretch. That's a little worrisome, especially in PPR, half PPR leagues. However, throughout that stretch, he still consistently ran more routes out of the backfield than Naheem Hines, which tells me there is still untapped potential there if you liked the fantasy points he gave you this year then it could be better next year because maybe those routes turn into targets we know that there is no player on that team that they want to get the the ball in their hands more than jonathan taylor he had 92 red zone touches in 2021 which was 29 more than eckler who was number two he is the colts red zone offense give me jonathan taylor at the 101 who has just in elite like basically a spotless track record of staying healthy handling heavy workloads he weighs 230 the guy can handle it he's gonna be my 101 as of right now for 2022 jonesy who you got man Uh, to go back on saquon barkley currently taking as uh the running back 22 at 51 wow Wow. in rankings as value early rankings Early no, range. Value. Top of my head, I think I would put him in the, the 12 to 15 range. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, they also have him ahead of some running backs. I don't want, I don't want to even put in the, the discussion with them, but that's <laughs> a different story for a different day. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be Jonathan Taylor, but I'll be a little bit spicy. And I think that um, if he's fully healthy uh, during this playoff run, I think we see him going a number one pick in the majority of leagues next year. And that's Derek Henry. Because when Derrick Henry's healthy, the workload is there. Uh, that offense runs through him when he's available. And I think the more of the same we'll see in uh, 2022. So I think to go different, I think he could be uh, the one, the one uh, round one pick one. But I do agree with Josh. I think Jonathan Taylor is probably more than likely going to be it. Yeah, the other guy that has crept up into the 101 talks is Cooper Cup. Uh, but I was going to side with Jonathan Taylor because of the position. So if you choose uh, Derrick Henry, that's, you know, your cup of tea. That's cool. Uh, I'm going to go with somebody younger with a, a potentially higher ceiling. Like you just mentioned, Josh, the, the targets and the receptions could actually increase, which is scary to think with a guy of that talent profile. So we're going to clean sweep it here. We're all going running backs. Uh, Taylor, 
for the three of us with a little bit of Derrick Henry sprinkled in from Chris, because I think that's definitely worthy uh, of bringing up here because, you know, he was so good in the beginning of the season. Moving on to question seven, another spicy one. Speaking of Cooper Cup, what player has a chance to be 2022's Cooper Cup? And what I mean by that is a guy going in the, the 50th range picks, you know, a, a, a fourth, fifth, third rounder type of guy, maybe at max, but excels into being an upper echelon, top end fantasy asset. Josh, who you got? So I think there, there's kind of two guys that fit this profile for me. One I'll say quickly, DJ Moore, we've talked about him. The quarterback upgrade, I still don't even know if the ADP would get high enough. And even without a quarterback upgrade, I think there's still potential if they just bring in someone serviceable. He just needs someone serviceable. The The other guy, though, uh, would be Elijah Moore. I think Elijah Moore is probably going to go around that zone. <laughs> Zach Wilson, big question mark at quarterback. And I think that is what will hold him back. If if we knew that for some reason Deshaun Watson was the Jets quarterback in 2022, I mean, you'd be taking Elijah Moore in the third round. Yeah. You'd yeah, be like, sure. oh, we, we have to just take Elijah he Moore. He looks so good this year when he plays. Like a, a mid-range wide receiver one if Watson is going to pepper him with 25, 30% of his passes. So with Elijah Moore, we're, I'm, I'm basically betting on that Zach Wilson's actually kind of okay. We don't even need Zach Wilson to be that good. Zach Wilson was bad, and we still saw Elijah Moore putting up mid to high end wide receiver one numbers during a significant stretch of games. That was with bad Zach Wilson. So imagine if Zach Wilson takes a step forward as many, if not most, first round pick quarterbacks do from year one to year two. Suddenly, Elijah Moore getting more targets than almost any wide receiver in the NFL. Very good after the catch, gets open at will. Jets offense takes a little step forward. Elijah Moore could very well be a, a league winning type receiver where you go, wow, how was he falling to the fifth round of drafts? Somewhere, somehow, Rondell Moore is shedding a tear because he's the odd man out in terms of the Moors. DJ Moore, Elijah Moore, not Rondell Moore. Jonesy, tell the people listening, who is next year's Cooper Cup? Josh, I already said it. It's Elijah Moore. There we go. I'm just... Like I'm sitting here looking at this and I'm like, oh, Elijah Moore, if he tells me this is this is hands down the pick. Um you just need Zach Wilson to be a better version than he was this year. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Uh like Josh said, uh Wilson was bad at times this year, and Elijah Moore was putting up numbers. Elijah Moore was putting up numbers with guys like Josh Johnson and Mike White as his quarterbacks, too, as well. So if if he can stay fully healthy and gets a, a big workload next year, which I think he's going to get, um, Elijah Moore definitely has the potential to be the next Cooper Cup. So right back when I thought that maybe our friendship ended early, nope, we're right back in that jacuzzi, boys, because Josh said the other guy that I'm going to bring up, and that's Mr. DJ Moore. I'm not being, I'm not speaking hyperbolic here when I say that DJ Moore might have the sexiest player profile page in the known universe dude athletically jumps off the chart college dominator 97th percentile college target share 99th percentile breakout age 98th percentile the guy's racked up over 1100 yards over the last three seasons and he has yet to eclipse 
four touchdowns in a season. If this guy gets a, a high end, even a high end rookie, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, one of those guys go there, they're competent enough. They actually get this man the ball. And if they, you know, swing for the fences, I know their owner is itching to get a winner on the field. Maybe they go bold and they get it to Sean Watson or Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. Who knows? But if there is a legitimate QB upgrade, DJ Moore is going to ascend to some of the greats. And it's funny here. We all know Jamar Chase. Like I think, Josh, you mentioned it earlier. Jefferson, Chase, no doubt the one and two in terms of dynasty wide receivers. But DJ Moore sitting there this time next year as number three over DK Metcalf, over CeeDee Lamb. I don't think it's crazy if you get a quarterback there. This kid plays football at an extremely high level. And once he gets the quarterback he deserves, you could see in a hundred yard, uh, I mean, a hundred reception guy, 12, 13, maybe 1400 yards, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 touchdowns is all within the realm of possibility with a guy with this talent profile. So DJ Moore, Elijah Moore, get him on your rosters next year, next season, because they're about to ball the F out. The next the last three uh, questions here on the list, they're DFS centric <clears throat> because we'd be crazy to have a guy like Josh on and not talk DFS to help you make a little mula, a little cachola in the weekend wildcard slate. I personally don't play a lot of DFS, so I'll kind of sit this out and facilitate the conversation. So why don't we just jump right in? Question eight, who will be in a majority of your wildcard DFS lineups, Josh? So I'm looking at DraftKings. I know that's the most preferred platform by people out there. So if I'm looking at DraftKings, I'm looking at the six-game slate, the, the main one for this wildcard weekend. It's going to be the cheaper running backs. And what I mean by that is I'm looking at uh, Sony Michelle, 5,400. I'm looking at Leonard Fournette, 5,900. I'm looking at Daryl Williams, 5,500. And the reason is those those are three guys that can get you 25 to 30 fantasy points. It wouldn't shock anybody if one of those guys had 25 to 30 fantasy points. So why would you necessarily constantly pay up for Joe Mixon and Najee Harris, Josh Jacobs, when I don't actually think those guys have higher upside? Mm. And then you go to another position and it's like tight end. Wow, I kind of want to pay up for tight end. Kelsey, Kittle, Waller. I mean, Waller's 5,700. You want to be paying up for Waller when like Dawson Knox at 4,800. Are you kidding me? Pay the, you want to save money, drop down a thousand dollars at running back, go up a thousand from someone like Knox to Waller. I know Waller disappointed in week 18. However, the guy was coming back after what a five, six week absence Mm -hmm. still had nine targets. Darren Waller has ridiculous upside. The, the Bengals defense has struggled mightily against tight ends. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you go to receiver, you want to pay up for Cooper Cup. I, I think we all do. Cooper Cup's 9000 How are you going to afford him against uh, an Arizona Cardinals secondary where the cornerbacks are not the strength of that defense? They are not going to be able to cover Cooper Cup. Those are the kind of guys you want to pay up for where if I start dropping down in salary, it's like, wow, suddenly you go below Waller and it's like, I don't know if this guy has 25, 30 point upside most weeks. Yeah, You drop down a receiver and it's like, wow, Cooper Cup, Debo, Jamar Chase. Tyreek Hill, we've seen these guys break DFS slates before. And then at running back, I'm like, well, I see a lot of workhorse backs that can get me 25 to 30 fantasy points. So that is a position where I think I'm probably going to live in that 
mid 5k range on DraftKings with the running backs. It's not like I'm going to fully fade Mixon and not have any Mixon, but he doesn't strike me as uh, warranting the, me putting a lot of mix into my lineups, the most expensive running back when I don't think that his big game upside is any better than a lot of the cheaper running backs. That's a great call. Getting the running backs a little bit cheaper, you know, mixing, you'll have a man to hedge some of your bets, but that's kind of the name of the game as it was. If you're playing a limited amount of lineups, I think the cheaper running backs is a smart play. Jonesy, who is going to be very prevalent in your DFS lineups? Um, I was looking just a couple names, uh, and then I look at the prices. And I said, no, it won't work. Um, but there's one running back that I would be okay with paying for up front. That's Damian Harris. Like Damian Harris in the spot this week, especially with the cold conditions, they're going to have to run the football a lot, and Damian Harris is going to get the bulk of those carries. Yeah, he's coming off a bunch of touchdowns this year. I like that call, Damian Harris for the Patriots. So why don't we move on to the next question? And I had to ask it, Josh. You're on the show. I said it earlier. You are the modern-day stack savant. So what is your favorite stack for this weekend slate? So there's one game that projects to be the most lopsided, and that is the, the Chiefs-Steelers game. Everyone thinks the Chiefs are going to smash them. I agree. Then there's 14 points, that, right, or so that, maybe? Yeah. And then there's another game that also projects to be uh, heavily lopsided, and that is this Buccaneers-Eagles game. And let me tell you, do I think the Buccaneers are going to score four or five offensive touchdowns against the Eagles? Yes, I do. And my double stack of the week is going to be Brady, Fournette, and Gronkowski. It's easy. Ooh, interesting. Lenny, grossly mispriced at 5,900. No one's getting more targets or receptions per game at the running back position than Fournette. We saw him get multiple receiving touchdowns which means that both Brady and Fournette are getting fantasy points. A lot of people don't like to stack the quarterback and the running back. From a lot of my research, it turns out you are allowed to. So if not encouraged, and that boom games for the quarterback often coincide with the boom games for the running back, Brady, Fournette, throw in Gronk because Gronk is facing the Eagles, a bottom three defense for covering the tight end. And Mike Evans, who we know has target share concerns, separation concerns, he gets Darius Slay. So if you're telling me that the best Eagles defensive player for coverage is up against Mike Evans and that Gronk gets maybe the softest matchup possible for a tight end and Leonard Fournette is under $6,000 and is league winner Lenny and should be back in full go, that is my stack of the week. Ah, oh, man, I love to hear this is why we have Yon, Josh, because most people, they're going to think Tampa Bay. They're initially going to believe that you put Brady with Evans. The, the quarterback, running back, tight end stack, I imagine that's not necessarily a marquee, necessarily well-popular stack. So to do so could have some real benefits in day at DFS times this weekend. I love it. Jonesy, who are you stacking? Who are you just putting on top of each other, getting both of them in your lineups. See, this is a tough one. Um, mine's definitely going to be a quarterback wide receiver, but I'm just trying to pick. I have a matchup. I'm just trying to figure out which one I want to do. While you're thinking about it, what I'll say is that a lot of people get hung up with the quarterback running back stacks. They go, oh, in season-long leagues, if you look, they're negatively correlated, which means when one guy scores more, the other scores less. Mm-hmm. And 
they also go, oh, running back and tight end targets. They take from each other because they're close to the line of scrimmage targets. Mm -hmm. This is not how you should think about DFS. The people that think about it this way are doing it wrong because I don't care what the most likely outcome is. You can tell me that Brady and Fournette, usually only one booms and the other busts. I don't care. If you let me know that there is a decent probability, 10, 20% chance that they both go nuclear together. And I'm entering tournaments with thousands and thousands and thousands of contestants where you really want to be one of the one, two, three, four, fifth best entry in those five, 10, 20,000 entries. You need to hit the nuts. So why would I ever care that the quarterback and running back are less likely to hit together when I know nobody is going to play it? And I've seen multiple games this year where both of them went nuclear. So I think that's kind of a common misconception with DFS is people go, oh, I learned this from, from season long. Like the, the quarterback and running back, only one does well. And it's like, okay. But from my research, it turns out a pretty significant portion of the time, 20, 30% of the time, when one goes nuts, the other goes nuts with them. That is what you're looking for in DFS is the correlated players on the same team, each scoring multiple touchdowns in the same game when everyone else was playing other pieces of that offense instead. Absolutely. Gotcha. Zig when others are zagging. That's uh, how you really creep up those rankings in DFS. Jonesy, let's do it. Got it now. Just because of him. Joe Barrow, T. Higgins. Ooh. That's a stack of the weekend. I, I got to be honest, this is not a DFS take. This is a dynasty take. No single receiver has given me more warm feelings than T.G. Higgins to end the season. I just – I forgot how freaking good he is. And when you put him up with a gunslinger and, and a really good pro who should be around for a long time in Joe Burrow, uh, T. Higgins, love you. So that's uh, that, that, uh, those are some great stacks here. Now, if I were to uh, hit you with a great stack, I think I'm going to hit you with the uh, the Kiwoom Jones and Larky stack because it's proving to be pretty freaking dynamic. But let's move on to the tenth and final question in our ten question segment. We talked about who we're stacking. We talked about who will be in our lineups. Now let's talk about the matchup that you are avoiding the most in the weekend wildcard slate. Jonesy, why don't you get us cracking with your biggest stay away this weekend? Give me Pittsburgh, Kansas City, just because you really don't know what to expect from that Pittsburgh side of, side of the offense. Kansas City's going to get theirs. We all we always know that, but Pittsburgh, you just you never really know, especially with, with the way that Big Ben is. So that that's my, stay, my uh, avoid for the weekend. It's a good call. I mean, Kansas City's defense has been pretty good in the second half of the season, and I think that kind of piles into, you know, Josh's take early with Darrell Williams. You know, potentially a big lead leads to taking the foot off the gas in the wild card weekend. So, okay, I see where you're coming from. Josh, who is the what, – what matchup are you just trying to avoid this weekend? So, for me, I don't really like this New England-Buffalo game. It's by far the lowest game total on the slate. And while I think Damian Harris, like you said, he's a fine one-off play, good threat to score two touchdowns any given week. I just don't generally like when the run back for my Josh Allen stacks is most likely going to be the, the running back on the, the underdog. So if I'm stacking, cause you're probably not stacking Mac Jones. I mean, there's so many elite quarterbacks on the slate. Mm-hmm. Are you really going to stack Mac Jones when there's Mahomes, when there's Kyler, when there's Hertz? 
when there's Dak. Like there's there's so many elite quarterbacks. You can't use yeah. Mac Jones. So you go with Josh Allen. And he's like, okay, we throw in a couple Buffalo Bills. Maybe you go, uh, I don't know, Diggs Davis. And you're like, there, there's my Buffalo Bills double stack. And then you're like, okay, do I want to run it back? Probably Damian Harris. But then it's kind of weird because it's like, all right, I'm basically expecting the opposite of what Vegas thinks the game flow is going to be. And I don't generally like that. Yes, it's good to get contrarian. However, that just doesn't feel like when there's so many games that look like much more plausible shootouts and so many high upside players on the slate, that just doesn't seem like a game that I'm going to target as aggressively as the field. I, I, I do agree with you there. I mean, this will be the third time they match up against one another. Division rivals be so familiar. Chris, you alluded to it earlier. It's going to be terrible game conditions, very cold, windy, potentially snow in Buffalo. Uh, and, you know, with the tight ends being so good, and I think we talked about earlier, you know, you got Kelsey and Waller and Kittle and Gronk. Maybe the runback option that is best in terms of a potential shootout is Hunter Henry. And that's not a guy I think I want to hitch my, my wagon to, given the other options. So I think, uh, yeah, I think the Kansas City, St. Louis, uh, Kansas City, Pittsburgh game and the New England Buffalo game, maybe they are a little bit stay aways for this weekend. So good calls there, fellas. That's going to wrap up the 10 question segment, but we have a bonus because we have a guess as great as Josh. We don't think 10 questions is enough. We have one more question for you guys listening, and this one's a fun one. Who is your way too early sleeper for 2022? Josh, you're our esteemed guest. Why don't you take the lead here, bud? So we're going deep. I could give you the the less of a sleeper and say like a Christian Kirk who just is constantly slept on and always seems to produce, but we're going to go deeper than that. We're going to go so deep that this is someone that you can just get most likely in the final round of your drafts this next year. It's going to be David and Joku. David and Joku finally is freed from the chains of the Cleveland Browns in a run heavy offense, an organization that refuses to trade him when he asks to be traded. They hate him. They do not want to play him. I mean, we, we saw him have, what, nearly 200 receiving yards earlier in this year. You're trying to tell me you'd rather have the ball in Austin Hooper's hands than David Njoku. Get out of here. David Njoku <laughs> is exactly what we want in a breakout tight end, yep. an elite athlete, first-round draft, pedigree. That's kind of the recipe for the breakout tight end. The elite athlete, if he goes to a good offense, my goodness, yes, the ADP will rise, but... I think he's going to have legitimate top five upside. If for some reason the Chargers go, hey, we want Njoku in our offense. And next thing you know, Njoku's catching passes from Justin Herbert in a fast-paced offense. That is the recipe for a guy that becomes, uh, next thing you know, it's like, wow, how does this guy have 900 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns? And he's the tight end four in fantasy. That's how it happens. It's guys like David Njoku. Oh, I love that call because even if he creeps up, I mean, we just saw this past year. Mark Andrews was the tight end two, tight end three, you know, that range with the Kittles. And so they fall back enough. So even if his, you know, the narrative around him and the perception is he's a potential top five tight end, I think you'll still get value there because those guys still tend to, to kind of fall back in, in rounds. And, man, you just bring it up, Ninjoku going to play with Justin Herbert, you're bringing back some warm fuzzy feelings because that would be i think a match made in heaven we talked about earlier charges have insane cap room 
bringing a guy like Njoku might be easy peasy for them. And that's something I would love to see. Jones, who is your way too early sleeper pick for next season? It's going to be Rashad Bateman. I think Rashad Bateman's going to get the volume. Um, Everybody loves Hollywood Brown. I think Rashad Bateman's going to be um, the most consistent wide receiver on that team next year. So I love – we saw, you know, for him missing the first month of the season and doing what he did this year, um, it just makes me feel even better taking him next year later on in the draft. Yeah. And, and because of the lack of production to end the season, he will probably come at a value unless, you know, there's incredible hype in tra- in spring, tra- uh, I'm going to say spring training, in training camp for, for the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens. Baseball is always on my mind. I'm a baseball guy as well. Uh, it's funny. Uh, my breakout guy, I was going to, I actually have to, because I wanted somebody who was a little bit more obvious and a deeper pick. And it's funny that you brought him up, Josh. It just completely solidifies the fact that maybe we should just be lifelong friends going forward. I don't mean to put pressure on you, but I had Christian Kirk because people may not know this. He's averaged 10 or more points per game over the last three seasons. He's a free agent going into his late 25-year-old season. He's got good draft capital. And when I look up and see his best comparable and player profile is Stefan Diggs, boy, will I gravitate towards a player like that. I can see him going to an offense and, and really excelling uh, something off the top of my head. Maybe the Jaguars take a shot on him. And I can see him really fitting in with a guy that we talked about earlier, Trevor Lawrence. So Christian Kirk is my sleeper in terms of uh, maybe more obvious, but the deep sleeper, the guy that you will be able to get more likely at the back end of your drafts, Kine Naguanwu. I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, Kine. Uh, I'm not great at this, but the Vikings took him in the fourth round in this past year's draft. And the dude is an athletic freak. You look at his 40-yard dash, 99th percentile. Speed score, 96th percentile. Burst score, 86th percentile. Agility score, 84th percentile. All in playerprofile.com. This guy, if given an opportunity, could truly excel given the side, the size and his speed. Six foot, 210, scored two uh kick return touchdowns this year and you we all know injuries happen maybe alexander madison maybe dalvin cook has an injury going into next year's draft season we don't know that but this is somebody that i am key i am keying in on and i will get him everywhere at the end of my drafts kine niguangu i hope i said that right man i am so sorry if i didn't but uh yeah i think that's super deep uh that's wow that wraps up everything i had on my show sheet so i'm not gonna hit you guys with some surprises i think that's gonna wrap up the show so mr larky please tell the fine folks listening where they can find you on socials and where they can find your fantastic content well matt chris thanks for having me on this was a blast this was a marathon show i feel like we covered everything from dynasty to redraft some hot takes very good stuff you can find me on twitter at jlarkytweets you can find my work on playerprofiler.com where I've got my hands in the pots of pretty much anything st- stats-wise, data-wise that you see on the site. Most likely I have seen that data or uh, coded something like that in in some way. So that is where you can find my work. If you go to the uh, Roto Underworld podcast feed, you can see my, my podcast in there. First mover in the big tilt. 
where my in-season podcast and then my off-season podcast is Code Breaker. So you'll be able to find that in the Roto Underworld podcast feed. I'll be probably doing a podcast every week or two in the off-season just to, to keep the keep the vocal cords fresh, keep the content fresh. So yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. Of course. We're so happy. And make sure to follow Josh on TikTok as well. Josh, why don't you tell people where they can follow you on TikTok? Because your videos are not only entertaining, but they're super informative and they can help you win a little cash. So the Twitter is tweets. The TikTok is TikToks. So very easy. You can find me on both those platforms. Do it. Find him and follow Jonesy, inform the people where they can find you on socials and where they can check out your work. Uh, you can follow me on social uh, at C Jones, W H O 1212. You can find all my work on com. Yeah, buddy. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Medicare Room. And if while you're at it, you're in the following mood, go ahead and throw the Twitter, uh, our show's Twitter handle, follow as well at Kewum and Jones. Ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, children of all ages, that's a wrap on the 2021 fantasy football season. I'm Kiwoom. He's Jones. This is Kiwoom and Jones. Thank you all from the bottom of our hearts for rocking with us this season. Peace. <laughs>